conclusion from the Word of God on being stewards of the mysteries of God. We saw this morning that Paul, the Apostle Paul, said he was a minister of Christ and a steward of the mysteries of God. And so we define that word steward using Scripture itself, starting in 1 Corinthians 2. And what did we find out that a divine mystery is? It's that which is hidden until God decides to reveal it by His Spirit. And until God reveals it, is there any man who can discover it? No. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for us. The things of God knoweth no man we saw, but the Spirit of God. So the mysteries of God may not be complex truths. Some of them are simple, but they're hidden. The gospel's simple. A child can believe the gospel. But we saw this morning in the examples of mysteries, we saw that the church is a mystery, that Jew and Gentile would be made one in Christ. That was unknown in the Old Testament. And that's why the Jews initially rejected Gentiles coming to Christ, even in the New Testament church, early in the book of Acts. And so we saw that the gospel's a mystery. We saw that Christ is a mystery. And the last one that we did look at was about the gospel. Paul said, pray for me that I may have the boldness to open my mouth and preach the mystery of the gospel. And we define the gospel from that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul says, you know, that the gospel is Jesus Christ dying for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. But look at verse 3 in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul said the gospel he delivered was one that he received. Do you see that? He said, I delivered unto you that which also I received. Now, here's the question. Where did Paul, or how did Paul, receive the gospel? He's telling the Corinthian believers that he was the source of the gospel for them. He's the one who preached to them the gospel, but who gave it to Paul? The answer is found in Galatians chapter 1, again written by the Apostle Paul. Galatians chapter 1, let's begin with verse 11, where Paul says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man... Neither was I taught it, but by what? The revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, if we were to take salvation testimonies tonight, and it'd be a wonderful thing to do, I'd love to hear how people got saved, don't you? Probably every one of you here would say, someone shared the gospel with me, right? It may have been more than one person, or it may have been many times. My mother's the one who led me to Jesus Christ. She's the one who shared the gospel with me. 
But Paul says here that he didn't receive the gospel from any man in verse 12. He said, I was not taught it by any man, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're familiar with Paul's salvation testimony. He is saved on the road to Damascus, blown off his horse by a bright light from heaven, and Jesus Christ in his risen, exalted state speaks directly to Paul. He hears the gospel directly from Jesus Christ with no human messenger in between. That's what makes Paul an apostle. And he says, I was an apostle born out of due time because see, all the other apostles received Christ while he was on earth, right? He chose the twelve. Of course, Judas never received him. Judas was the one who betrayed him. Judas was a false disciple for a period of time. Jesus knew that, of course. But here's the Apostle Paul, who after Jesus has ascended into heaven, hears and receives the gospel directly from Jesus Christ with no human messenger in between. That's what makes him an apostle. Now that also gives him a great responsibility. Because the apostles, follow me on this, were the first generation recipients of the truth. They were first generation in the sense that they received the gospel, the mysteries of God, the truths that were taught to them. They received them from Jesus Christ directly. If they had not been good stewards of what was committed to them, what would have happened to the rest of us? There would have been no second generation believers, right? No third generation, all the way to whatever generation we are now. If they had not been faithful stewards, we would not know the mysteries of God today. They would still be covered. They would still be hidden because God is not speaking directly to us today as He did to those first apostles. So if I were to ask you this question, was the Bible written by God or men, what would you say? Yes, that's the right answer. It's written by both. It's written by God through men. And if you take either one away, you don't have a Bible. On every page of the Bible is a divine fingerprint and a human fingerprint because God chose to give us the Scriptures through human instruments. He inspired it through them so that they wrote the Word of God without error in in complete totality the way God wanted it written. He miraculously superintended that by divine inspiration. Now, what we say about the written Word, we can also say about the living Word, Jesus Christ. If I were to ask you, is Jesus God or man, what would you say? Both. He is both. Just like the written Word is given to us by God and man, Jesus Christ is both the living Word, both God and man.
So we are thankful, are we not, that Paul was a faithful steward or we would not have the majority of the books of the New Testament and all the mysteries of God that are revealed to us in those books. So in verse 12, he tells us in Galatians 1 that he didn't receive it of man. He was taught it, but by revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, you heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, having... Uh, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. You know, you can be extremely committed to a false religion. It's still false. Doesn't matter how zealous you are. Doesn't matter how sincere you are. But then it says in verse 15, and I love this verse, but when it pleased God who separated me when? Boy, there's a good verse against abortion. Paul didn't know that he was chosen to preach the gospel until he was an adult on the road to Damascus. But he tells us right here under divine inspiration that God chose him for that task when? From his mother's womb, he was separated as an apostle to preach the gospel. He called me by His grace, that's the way He calls any of us, to reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him among the heathen. Notice again, He says, Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Do you see what He's saying here? Even after He was saved, who taught Paul? Jesus didn't just speak to him on the road to Damascus, did he? He continued to reveal truth to Paul. You see it here. He said, after he was saved, when he revealed his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, I didn't confer with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia, which is desert, and returned again unto Damascus. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days, but other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Isn't that amazing? So where did Paul get all his truth? He was saved, discipled, committed all these great mysteries and truths directly by Jesus Christ without any human instruments in between, including the other apostles. He was only with Peter for 15 days, a little over two weeks, and I'll tell you who was teaching whom. <laughs> I don't think Peter was teaching Paul. I think Paul was teaching Peter. Because it's Peter who said that Paul wrote the things that were hard to be understood, right? Even Peter recognized that God had committed to Paul deeper truths than even Peter himself knew. God committed them to Paul because God knew that Paul would be a good steward of those truths. And now today, we know the mysteries of God, the things that God revealed to Paul, because Paul wrote them down, as we saw this morning. Now, what does it take for us to be good stewards of the mysteries of God today. God's not writing any new revelation. There's no new books of the Bible. There's no gospel according to Kevin. Uh, so what do we do 
if we're going to be good stewards of the mysteries of God today. Those mysteries are contained in His Word, and we have His Word, right? We have His Spirit guiding us into the truth of His Word. Okay, so number one, and let me illustrate it this way, is it possible to starve to death with a full refrigerator? Yes. It's not likely, but it's possible, right? Because what's in the refrigerator has to end up inside you, right? If it doesn't, you can still starve with a full refrigerator. In the same way, is it possible to spiritually starve with a Bible in your house? Yes, because what's in the Bible has to end up inside you. So the first thing we need to do with the Bible, if we want to be a good steward of the mysteries of God, is the same thing we do with food. We have to digest it or store it on the inside. There's two ways to do that. One is to memorize it. And the best verse for this in the Bible is Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not what? Sin against thee. So hiding God's word in your heart means memorizing it. It was good to hear some of you quoting scripture tonight as you shared those promises that are special to your heart. You weren't fumbling around trying to find them in the Bible because you had committed them to memory. That's a wonderful thing. Now, what is the promise if we memorize it? Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. So we could say the promise for people who memorize Scripture is purity of life. Now, here's what happens, though. Let's suppose you're struggling with some sin in your life, and you say, okay, I found this promise that if I hide God's Word in my heart, I will not sin against God. So you decide you're going to start memorizing some Bible verses and claiming that promise. And so you memorize one Bible verse, but you're still struggling with that sin. You memorize two Bible verses, you're still struggling with that sin. Maybe three, four, five, you're still struggling with that sin. And then Satan comes along and he says, see, God's promises don't work. You started memorizing the Bible. You've still got sin in your life. God's not telling you the truth. And God, from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, that's what he said to Eve, right? God's not telling you the truth. Now, I haven't had a TV, or our family hasn't, since 2000. We moved into a house. We didn't want to pay for cable TV. We just forgot about it. We haven't missed, we haven't missed a bit of it. <laughs> okay, but I know they used to. I don't know if they still do, but they used to show these long infomercials on television, like a half hour long or something. They're trying to sell something expensive and get you to buy it. And one of the things they would try to sell is exercise equipment. Did you ever watch one of those things? You can buy a treadmill, or you can buy this home gym, or you can buy... And they put on these people who are really physically fit, right? Of course. I mean, you can't sell the equipment otherwise. And so you're watching this thing, and you're saying, wow, I'd like to look like that person or that person. And so you buy this piece of equipment, and you get it for you know so many monthly payments, 0% interest. You think you got this good deal. Now, how many of you think you're going to look like the person on the infomercial if you use it one time? How about two times? 
How about three times? But what happens if you use it the way you're supposed to use it for three years? Do you think now maybe you might look like the person on the infomercial? You see, memorizing Scripture, if we really want it to change our lives, needs to be a lifestyle. Because memorization takes something else that starts with an M, and that is meditation. You see, to memorize the Bible, you have to go over it and over it and over it and over it in your mind. Do you know that's what meditation is? It's taking a small part of Scripture. Not the, You can't meditate on the whole Bible, but have you ever been in your devotions or you're reading through Scripture and, and a part of it just grips you, it just pops off the page, God speaks to your heart through that passage. That's not the time to plow through and say, well, i got to get my four chapters in today. Do you know nowhere in the Bible does God say you have to read it through every year? It's good if you do. It's great if you do. It's fine. But you can't find a passage of Scripture that says, make sure you read it through every year. But you can find passages of Scripture that say, make sure you meditate on it. So don't go through it so fast that you can't park and let it soak in and let it fill your heart and mind, let it thrill your soul. When we talk about meditation, a couple passages come to mind. One is Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So if memorizing the Bible, the promise is purity, meditating upon the Bible, it's another P, but you're going to have to let me explain it, it's prosperity. It says if we meditate, we will make our way prosperous. Now before you think I'm one of these TV evangelists that says God's going to make you rich, let's look at another passage and then we'll explain this. Psalm 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And what will happen? He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. There's that word again prosperity. Now see, in America, we can easily get a warped idea of what the Bible means about prosperity. And there's people that stand behind pulpits and take passages like that and say, see, God's going to make you rich. Because we would say that the opposite of prosperity is poverty, and so God's going to make you rich. But what's another word for prosperity? It starts with an S. And we saw it in Joshua 1.8. For then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Another word for prosperity is success. The opposite of success is not poverty. It's what? Failure. 
That's exactly right. So the promise is this. If you meditate on my word, if you fill your thoughts with my thoughts, God says from his word, you're not going to fail in that which I call you to do. It may look to the world like you're failing, but you will succeed in the sight of God, and He's the one that matters. Okay, so we digest it. We store it on the inside by doing two things, memorizing it and meditating upon it, filling our thoughts with the Word of God. Now, there's a second thing we need to do, and I'm going to illustrate this one as well, a silly kind of way. How many of you can see my face right now? Raise your hand. I didn't ask if it was good or not. You can laugh at it. That's fine. Here's what's funny, though. I can't see my face. Everybody in this room can see my face, but I can't. And the same thing's true of you. God has not equipped us with the ability to see our own faces. What do you need if you want to see your own face? You need a mirror. Isn't that amazing? Without a mirror, you wouldn't know what you look like. So, (laughs) let's turn to James chapter 1. Again, we're talking about what does it take for me to be a good steward of the mysteries of God in His Word today. Number one, I need to digest it. I need to store it on the inside. But now, in James chapter 1, verse 22, he says, But be ye doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the Word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. He beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. The, James here is kind of giving us a warning that the Word of God becomes a mirror. The Bible reveals who God is, right? But it also reveals who we are. You see, there's a funny thing about us. Just like I can't see my own face, I also have a tendency not to see my own sin. Have you noticed that? That's why Jesus said in Matthew 7, why are you trying to cast the mote or the splinter out of your brother's eye when there's a beam or a log in your own eye? Isn't it amazing we can have this great big piece of timber in our own eye And we look right on past it, but we see a little speck in our brother's eye. Because just like we can't see our own faces, most of the time we can't see our own sin, but then we open the Bible. And in the Bible, we not only see God, but we see ourselves. We see ourselves the way God sees us. Because God's Word is described in Hebrews 4.12, as the Word of God is quick or alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And then it says this, it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Your intents or your intentions are not just your thoughts, but even your motives. You know, God knows why you do what you do. He knows if you're just being a show-off hypocrite if you just come to church because you want everybody to think you're good, or if you're really coming to church because you love God. God knows the difference, and you know what? When you open up the Bible, He can show you the difference. But James says, here's the problem. 
If we hear the Word of God and we don't do it, who do we deceive? Only ourselves. Everybody else, if, if, if I looked in the mirror and I just left everything a mess, I rolled out of bed, my hair was all messed up and my face was dirty, and I, went out and, and, and I looked in the mirror and I forgot all about it, but everybody else would know it, right? You'd all see it. I would have forgotten all about it. And James says, when we hear the Word of God and we don't do it, other people know the difference. We're only deceiving ourselves. So what is the second thing we need to do if we want to be a good steward of the mysteries of God? We have to digest the Word of God, which means stored on the inside, and we have to do the Word of God, which means show it on the outside. Live it so that others can see that you're not just a hearer of the Word, but a doer. Now, there's a third thing we need to do with the Word of God if we want to be a good steward of it. And for this, let's go to Romans chapter 10, familiar passage of Scripture. I love Romans chapter 10. In fact, I have a message uh, from Romans 10 that's a series of S's that show us the method of missions. Missions goes all the way to God providing a Savior from sin and then down through the seed and the sower and the sender. It's all there in Romans 10, God's entire method of missions. But in verses 14 and 15, God says this, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard And how shall they hear without a Bible? Did I mess up? I messed up, huh? Let me ask a simple question. Would it be easier and cheaper to send Bibles around the world instead of missionaries? I was looking at your missionary wall, that beautiful map, beautiful pictures of the missionaries. Except for me, I know I'm not beautiful, but nonetheless... It's beautiful to look at that and realize that you're supporting these people who are taking the gospel around the world. Now, is it wrong to send Bibles around the world, yes or no? Of course not. We should send Bibles around the world. Uh, and, and, and sending Bibles around the world's a lot cheaper and easier than sending missionaries, right? You don't have to feed a Bible. You don't have to clothe a Bible. You don't have to give it shelter and transportation and retirement. All these kind of things you got to put into the life of a missionary. You can just spend a couple bucks and give them a Bible. What's the problem with that, though? Remember what we saw this morning about the mysteries of God and then... And then God also told us the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. So you hand him a Bible, he's going to throw it over his shoulder or stick it on a shelf somewhere, it's going to collect dust because this book to the natural man is foolishness. And so most people, even if they have a Bible, they just won't read it. Now again, it's not wrong to send Bibles around the world, but... God has so structured it that the natural man is not attracted 
to the Bible. So here's what God wants us to do. It's like a double-barrel shotgun. The Holy Spirit authored the book, right? Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And then when we receive Jesus Christ, the same Holy Spirit who authored the Bible lives inside us. So a Spirit-filled believer takes a Spirit-authored book. And that's the double-barrel shotgun. The Spirit of God's in the book. The Spirit of God's in the heart of the person presenting it. And we have now just come at that person twice. The Holy Spirit in the book, the Holy Spirit in us. And one of the reasons for that is God wants to give us the privilege of leading someone else to Christ and knowing that their eternal destiny just changed from hell to heaven. I've never had a bigger thrill in life than leading a lost person to Jesus Christ, especially if you see the change in their life that proves they're a new creature in Christ. You see that hunger for the Word of God, you see them grow, and all you can say is, thank you God that you gave me the privilege that you allowed me to be an instrument to tell that person about Jesus Christ. And so, I want to give you an example of this that's real life. A number of years ago, in fact, I was with Matt Barfield, and we were in the little country of Nepal, which is just above India. It's a very small Hindu kingdom. And we were with a missionary there, and he lived in a very, very small house that was about the size of this platform. And inside that house, he lived with his wife. They had a couple orphans, plus Matt and I were staying there with them. You can imagine all that in this little house. And the missionary, we decided, we're talking to the missionary, we said, we got to, we, somehow we got to be able to talk in private and pray together and strategize, talk about the future of your ministry. But there just wasn't room there. There wasn't privacy there. And And there in Nepal, you don't really worship openly like you do here because it's not legal. And so they had church, but it wasn't an obvious church. They didn't have an assigned church building. And so we couldn't go there either. And he said, I know exactly the place. And it was a place that was called Hotel at the End of the Universe. That's literally what it was called. And we went there, and it was like this little mountain resort. And off in the distance... You could see most of the Himalayan mountain range, including Mount Everest, way off, but just very beautiful, like it would appear on a a panoramic photograph. And so we're there, and uh, it had been clouded up and, and stormy. That night it was storming most of the night, thunder, lightning. We got bit up by mosquitoes and everything. The next morning... The clouds lifted. We saw those beautiful Himalayan mountains. And there was a young lady there 
visiting from America, she said it was either 10 days she had been there or two weeks. I don't remember exactly which, but she had been there a good number of days. She said, this is the first day I've been able to see the Himalayan mountains. She, t- she said they've been covered by clouds the whole time we were We were only there overnight into the next morning, and God blessed us to be able to see them. I'll never forget that. And so we were able to pray together. We were able to talk and to strategize about ministry. And we ate breakfast and lunch there, and I'm I'm sitting in the lunchroom, and Matt Barfield and our missionary are packing up the van. It's time to go. And I'm talking to this lady in the lunchroom who's Dutch. She's from Holland. I said, how did you end up here? She said, well, I came here to study Buddhism under a renowned guru. And she said, while I was here, I met this Nepalese man and I married him. And his father had started this resort. And now the two of us own it and we run it. And so she was telling me about herself. And then I proceeded to tell her why I was there. And then she asked me a question. She said, would you tell me what the goal of Christianity is? She knew a lot about Hinduism, remember. She knew about Christianity, at least she knew the term. But she said, would you tell me what the goal of Christianity is? What does it seek to accomplish? And the Spirit of God took me immediately to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8.28, we can all quote, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. But what is His purpose? The next verse, verse 29 says, For whom He did foreknow, He did predestinate to be what? Conformed to the image of His Son. That's the goal of Christianity right there. The goal of Christianity, I told this this young lady that, I said the goal of Christianity is to take those who believe in Jesus Christ, those who've received Him by faith, and make them like Christ. To conform them to the image of Christ. But I said, in order for you to understand that, you're going to have to know what Christ is like. Would you allow me to tell you? And she said, yes. And for about 45 minutes, I went back into the Old Testament. I talked about the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. The shedding of blood to forgive sins. I talked about the office of the prophet, priest, and king. And and then I, I went into the New Testament and I showed that John the Baptist, the last of the prophets, introduced the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. And how did he introduce him? He said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And I showed her how the Old Testament was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The cross is the final altar. Jesus is the final sacrifice. As we saw this morning, it's finished in Him. And I just went through many Scriptures sharing with her the Gospel. I had no Bible in front of me at that time, but I had done what with the Bible? I had memorized it and meditated upon it. And guess what? The Holy Spirit promises that He will bring to your remembrance 
the things that Jesus has commanded. If you're willing to open your mouth and you're willing to be a witness, you'll be surprised how God will fill it, especially if you've memorized and meditated upon Scripture. And so I'm talking to this lady for this amount of time, and then I finally I said to her, look, we have to go. But I said, everything I have shared with you is in the Bible. When I leave here, if you will read the Bible, the Spirit of God will speak to your heart. He'll guide you into His truth. He'll answer your questions. And just then, an interesting thing happened. This young lady that was visiting, which was a relative of hers, who finally got to see the Himalayan mountains, this young lady was sitting in the lunchroom listening as well. She got up out of her chair, She walked across the room, and there was a shelf. And on that shelf, she pulled off, guess what? A Bible. And it was even placed by the Gideons at the hotel at the end of the universe. She already had what? Romans 10 does not say that what they're missing is a Bible. It says, how shall they hear without a preacher? You see, God wants us to be involved. It's not just our responsibility, it's our privilege. I pray for her often. I want to see her in heaven. I hope she already knows the Lord. But you see, all we can do is sow the seed. We're not responsible for the results, but we are responsible to declare. So that's the third point. First of all, we digest it, we store it on the inside, we do it, we show it on the outside, we declare it, we speak it on all sides. And just two more points, and these are quick. The third one is found in Jude 3. Jude says that we need to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. The third thing we need to do to be a good steward of the Word of God is defend it. You see, the Bible's under attack, is it not? All over the world. It's even under attack in pulpits. Do you realize there are major denominations, there are churches, and there are pastors of those churches who don't believe Jesus literally rose from the dead. They don't believe that Jesus was literally born of a virgin. They take things that the Bible says and they explain them away and they don't believe them. The Bible's long been removed from the classrooms of America, even though it was there originally and for a very long period of time. In fact, the Bible was in the classroom way more years than it's been out of it. But look how fast the public school system has gone to hell since we took the Bible out of it. And look how many of our children it is sending to hell. And we should not sit back silently and watch all this happen. Jude said, if you're going to be a good steward of the mysteries of God, you need to stand up for the Word of God. You need to earnestly contend for the faith. And I love that statement when it says, that was once delivered to the saints. You know, when you talk about a textbook, there's not one textbook that's eternal. 
all the textbooks in every classroom anywhere in the world, they always have to be updated, they have to be rewritten, new things are discovered, uh, and, and they're changed, right? They're revised. But how about this one? It's forever settled in heaven. Not one jot, not one tittle will pass away till all is fulfilled. Look, God doesn't revise this. He doesn't change it. And so, defending the Word of God that was once delivered to the saints, it simply means keep it the same. Don't change it. Don't mess with it. Don't revise it. Let it say what it says. Be willing to fight for it. Defend the truth of the Scripture. And then there's a final thing, and this final thing, if we don't do it, in a sense, the rest of it doesn't matter, or at least it won't matter after we're gone. The final thing we have to do is deposit it. That is, in the next generation. Otherwise, it'll die with us, right? In 2 Timothy 2.2, what did the Apostle Paul say? He said, Timothy, the things that you've heard of me among many witnesses. And that means Paul was consistent. He's saying, Timothy, you could go out there and talk to many, 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 many witnesses. And you know what? They all heard the same thing. Paul didn't change the message based on his audience. Paul had a lot of different audiences, didn't he? He had the philosophers at Mars Hill. He had the people out in the marketplace. He had the scholars in the school of Tyrannus. He even spoke to members of Caesar's household. He spoke to the Philippian jailer. Paul had all kinds of different audiences. But you know what? One message. He kept it the same, didn't he? He kept it true. And then he said to Timothy, Timothy, the things you have heard of me among many witnesses... The same commit thou to faithful men who will teach others also. Another word for faith is trust. So a faithful man is a trustworthy man. You know, we're each just a single person. We're very limited in our time and our abilities and our energy. And thankfully, Paul didn't say, Timothy, the things you've heard of me among many witnesses, just commit them to everybody you know. He didn't say that, did he? In fact, even Jesus didn't do that. How many did he commit to? Just 12. So he said, Timothy, you find men who are worthy of trust. You find men who are faithful. And what you've heard of me... You commit that to them so that they can then go on and teach others also. And that's how the steward, that's how we become stewards of the mysteries of God. And those mysteries continue to be handed from one generation to the next as we are faithful stewards ourselves. So, in closing, let me say this about depositing the truth. When Paul wrote those words to Timothy, where would Timothy find a faithful man? Think of the ancient world. Have to be very close to him geographically, right? They didn't have a telephone. They didn't even have telegram. They didn't even have the postal service that we have today. As bad as we complain about it, they had none of that. They certainly couldn't get online with one of these things. 
So, but now, Brother Hordon, Jose Hordon here from Bolivia, IPM missionary. You know what? We can get on these things and we can talk to each other while he's in Bolivia. Not only can you talk to each other, you can even see each other right out of your pocket. I've been to very remote areas of the world. I've never been to any part of the world that they don't have these. Never. I've been in places where there's huts with grass roof and sticks and you can see through the walls, but they have one of these. They don't have running water, but they have one of these. The Antichrist is going to use it, I can tell you that, to unite the world. The mark of the beast, everybody's got to give it. How are you going to get everybody to get it? How are you going to track them? It's already being done. Technology's already there. Look at COVID. Got the whole world marching to the same beat. Wasn't it amazing to watch that happen? Every country in the world almost put on a mask, social distance, lock everything down, ruin the economy. And they got the whole world. First time in history, whole world marching to the same beat. The technology's there. The Antichrist is going to use it. But you know what? We can also use it for God, can't we? He not only wants us to be stewards of our time, our talent, and our treasures. I believe in this day, He wants us to be stewards of our technology. Use it for God, because we can spread the gospel as never before. We can communicate with people as never before. And we can find faithful, trustworthy men today who aren't just across the street, they're across the ocean. They're on the other side of the world because we can communicate with them. We can hold them accountable. We can even visit them. Air travel is relatively cheap when you understand that you can get on a plane. I can get on a plane in Washington, D.C., and I can fly all the way to China without stopping. It's amazing that a plane can even hold that much fuel. Yeah, it can take 14, 17 hours, something like that. But you can get on a plane in Washington, D.C. and land in China. And so we have the technology today to find faithful men all over the world. And that's what IPM's been doing for 40 years. Committing to faithful foreign nationals. And I talked about COVID. Do you know what happened when COVID hit? A lot of foreign missionaries, including American missionaries, got called home. I understand that. I'm not saying that was wrong. But IPM's missionaries didn't get called home because they're already home. (laughs) They stayed in the countries where they already know the language, they already know the culture, they already know how to jump through the hoops. And yes, they had to jump through the hoops during COVID, but they didn't have to leave their ministry. They didn't have to leave their fields, and we didn't lose a single missionary during COVID. And God's given us the technology to do that last point, to deposit the truth in foreign nationals all over the world and let them do the work of the ministry and plant churches in their own cultures. So review with me as we close. If we want to be faithful stewards of God's Word today, what are the five things we need to do with it? We need to digest it, store it on the inside by memorizing and meditating. We need to
we need to do it. Show it on the outside. Absolutely. We need to declare it. Speak it on all sides. We need to defend it. And we need to deposit it. Do you know I keep these, these five things in front of me? I review them often and I look at my own life. And I say, God, am I... And, and I'll be honest with you, I used to memorize more Scripture than I'm memorizing right now. I'm dropping the ball on digesting it. I need to pick that ball back up. You see, we all struggle with what we know to be right, don't we? And so I'm confessing to you, I'm not digesting it like I should be, like I used to, like I did. And then do it. Are there areas where we're disobedient to the Word of God? And if there is, we're only deceiving ourselves. We don't get better by hearing it if we don't do it. And then all of us can declare it better, can't we? Share it with more people. Who do you know that's lost that you haven't shared the gospel with yet? We need to declare it. Then we need to defend it. And finally, we need to deposit it. I can tell it's being deposited here. I get excited when I come to this church because I see young people. I see teens on this side and even preteens on this side. I see them playing their instruments and learning the Word of God and serving the Lord in their youth. You're depositing it in the next generation. And so I just want to encourage you, if we want to be faithful stewards of the mysteries of God, as Paul was, we're not going to write new Scripture. But those are five things we can do with the Scripture that we have. And may we be found faithful.